Welcome to another week of the Sports Block Podcast. Uh, now on iTunes, so definitely check that yeah. out. Very good, very good stuff. Travis Crins here with uh, yours truly, Nathan Stacken, and the NCAA uh, tournament still going on. March Madness in full effect here. We are down to four teams, Travis, four teams, and I bet we got them all right at the beginning of this tournament when we named them, right? These are the final four teams. Yes, that, 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 that's what, got, that, that is uh, what has been reported to me. I got two right. That would be North Carolina and Gonzaga. That's right, two one seeds. The other two one seeds didn't quite do it. No, they didn't. Uh, Oregon takes down the one seed Kansas in the Midwest. And then the one seed uh, in the East Villanova, once again, didn't do anything. I think we talked about this last week. If there's any lesson to be learned, it's don't take Villanova to the final four. Don't do it. Never again. I'll never forget in- how terrible Instead, you might want to take Frank Martin and the South Carolina Gamecocks. Darius Rucker is rejoicing. Uh, the South Carolina's in the Final Four for the first time ever, and you take a look at this field. North Carolina, the most appearances ever in the Final Four. They've reached their 20th. And then the other three have had a combined one appearance since 1939. That would be the Oregon Ducks, who, by the way, won it all that year. Gonzaga and South Carolina never made it before. This is a, a, a remarkable Final Four field, wouldn't you say? Yeah, Carolina you know, they made it. They made it more than anybody, twenty times. Gonzaga's never made it, and they were the show me something team. Let's see it. One loss, and uh, they've had their bumps along the way. They almost lost to West Virginia, but uh, almost lost to Northwestern, but. Uh, they're playing better the longer the tournament goes on. Uh, South Carolina, uh, one of the more improbable teams I've ever seen. I would easily put them in my top five, as far as most unlikely in my lifetime in the last 20 years. Who who would beat them? Would VCU beat them? They were an 11 seed. Yep. George Mason, they were an 11 seed. Yep. They would do that. Uh, I guess life. Butler, eight seed one year. Uh, was it first year? Was it like LSU or something? Well, or would you be talking about Villanova or? No, that would be before my yeah, time. Yeah, before so. your time. So, uh, I mean, I feel like LSU also made it, but maybe they were a seven seed. That yep. that year when Florida won it all, I believe that was their first championship, correct? When it was UCLA, LSU, and George Mason. The combined seeding of that was somewhere right around, I think, 25 or something, 25, 30, which is the highest ever. Um, what other ones, I guess, would, would jump out? Those are the immediate ones. Yeah. Those would be the five there, any double-digit seeds, LSU, VCU, George Mason, Butler the first time, not so much the second time, but the first time. Yep. I would add, I would add South Carolina to that list because – I mean, I, I didn't have them winning a game in this tournament. They were facing the hottest team in the tournament coming in in Duke in yep. the second round. And uh, they were down in that Duke game, what, uh, 12 points. They were down against Florida at half by seven. And uh, remarkable comebacks in, in all of those games and uh, defense. Apparently their calling card. Yep. They've uh, certainly, certainly stepped it up defensively. And uh, you know, they, they 
very well could beat Gonzaga. Yes, they could. South Carolina, definitely a second-half team. And uh, last week I had said, okay, well, South Carolina was definitely helped by the home crowd in that game against Duke. But the more you watch them in this tournament, the way they completely wiped the floor with Baylor uh, in the the Sweet 16, and then the way they were able to come back against Florida there in the Elite Eight, you start to realize or recognize that maybe this wasn't just a home crowd sort of thing, that this South Carolina team is actually pretty good. Uh, Sandarius Thornwell is a star. I would say he's been the best player in the NCAA tournament to this point. Uh, I mean, outside of maybe... Uh, Bell for uh, Jordan Bell for Oregon. There's really been no one more impressive than Thornwell. Yeah, he put up a lot of points this year. He had a game against uh, Kentucky early on, like like in January something, where I kind of first heard of him, and he scored like 30, 30 some points in that game. And uh, yeah, because nobody's ever heard of the guy, and he's done tremendous in this tournament. They gave him just enough scoring. Everybody's talking about how great their defense is, which it is. Um, they average what 67 points a game, but they scored I think at least 70 in every game. So they've exceeded their average in uh, in every game this this tournament. Um, at 65 points in the second half versus Duke is something. Yes, something we probably will never see again, or won't see for a very long time. A team putting up sixty-five points in a half, especially against a team like Duke. A lot of people are asking: Is South Carolina a Cinderella? Um, I I would tend to say yes because of the not. People will say, "Well, the, the argument against it is that they're in a Power Five conference, but they've never." They had never, ever been to a Final Four before. They were a seven seed. They had lost, what, six of nine to end the regular season. So no one was even really paying attention to them or giving them much of a thought of coming out of the out of the first weekend or, you know, to the Final Four, let alone the first weekend. So that I would tend to say or lean towards the side that South Carolina is a Cinderella. Do you agree? Oh, absolutely. I don't know how you would argue that they're not, you know, regardless of what conference they're in, just because of their history. And they were seven seed, and again, I didn't even pick them to win a game. And uh, they what they never even made a Sweet 16, right? right. I mean, that's, that's insanity. They never won two games in a row in the tournament. They haven't been in the tournament in, what, well over a decade. Not since the 70s. And, uh, Oh, oh, you're right. They hadn't won a game since the 70s. You're right. They hadn't been in the, the tournament since, I believe, 2004. Yeah, so it's been a dozen years or so, 13 years. And uh, they were very close last year. Had a great start. Won, like, 25-some games. And uh, they were left out. And um, record-wise, didn't have a nearly good of a year. But, uh, what, three teams, four teams got in from the SEC, and they were number three. And the SEC had a nice showing. Uh, they were by far the most impressive I look at Florida, they beat Virginia, which was tremendous. Yes. Um, they beat Wisconsin, I'm sure we'll get to that. So, yeah. Great game. But, uh, like, Florida didn't – Florida was favored in every game that they played, and they, they beat everybody that should have beat. And uh, Kentucky, a uh, good win against uh, Wichita State in a close game. So, SEC did well. And uh, South Carolina, just very odd to see that team 
still playing. Yeah. Um, so l- let's rewind a little bit here before we move forward and and preview the final four. Uh, I thought that the Thursday of you know the, of the the first day of the Sweet 16 games, I thought that was the best day of the tournament by far. You, you only had four games, but they were all incredibly close. Uh, you have Gonzaga and West Virginia play a three-hour marathon, and that was only because you had, what, 26, 28 fouls called in the first half? I mean, this was a choppy game. It was unwatchable, but it was still in- incredibly... You, you couldn't take your eyes off of it. It's like a train wreck just because it was so close. No team could really pull away. I thought maybe, you know, Gonzaga, I believe, took a 45-37 lead. And you thought, okay, uh, here, here we go. Gonzaga's going to pull away. And then who was it, that that, that Carter guy, number two? for Devon Carter. Yeah, he all of a sudden he started to go off and make threes left and right. Pulled West Virginia back into it, and they had the lead. They were getting to the offensive rebounds, and there was that steal or that block there at the end. I think a lot of people thought that maybe that was going to be a foul called off of the missed free throw there, and then Gonzaga takes it all the way down, and I believe it was Matthews that drained the three to give Gonzaga the lead. I mean, that uh, unreal finish to that game. Yeah, great finish. The the game was played, I would say, at a pace that West Virginia would like. Yep. Uh, it's, they do score more points than they have in recent years, but that's... Game in the 60s, that's, that's kind of what they like to do and muck it up a little bit there. And, uh, yeah, Gonzaga had a lead late, and uh, Carter, very bad, uh, very bad final possession. Yep. Uh, he had three shots there. And he had time for two. And then you didn't have time for it, too, so you had to get a three, and they couldn't get a third shot off. That was a terrible final possession to end the season and career for some of those guys. But, yeah, that was, uh, we thought West Virginia would give give Gonzaga a game, and, and they did. It came down to the final, the final possession. I don't know if it was necessarily a terrible final possession because they got two good shots off right there, and they got the rebounds, but then it was the last one where they just dribbled around. Like, you know, do something, start something. I got to think Bob Huggins was going irate there on the on the sideline. I mean, no, no, no way. I don't believe you. Bob Huggins, he probably had a heart attack again. Uh, But this was a game that Gonzaga. I think in years past probably would have lost, but they are a very good defensive team too. And to prove the, to that point, West Virginia shot, I think, 26% in the game. They were awful, 26 or 29%. And But what kept them in the game was the fact that they had double-digit offensive rebounds. That is something that that surprised me a little bit, that Gonzaga couldn't keep them off the board quite as much. But then again, when you are in as much foul trouble as Gonzaga was, especially their bigs early on in the game, uh, maybe that shouldn't be as surprising that West Virginia was able to crash the glass as much as they did. I would say last possession, um, decent looks, but like every shot was worse than the previous shot. The one was like an air ball, and they got three chances, and they just couldn't get anything. And just so many times we've seen at the end of games, teams trying threes when threes aren't needed when a two will do. And uh, that was maybe a case of that one early on in that possession when there were still, you know, 15 or 20 seconds left. Uh, and West, West Virginia, uh, yeah, you, you should not be in the game when you shoot 25% from the field. You should lose that game by probably 20 points. And uh, they were right there all game long. And uh, yeah, that, that that Thursday night, 
besides the second half of Purdue and Kansas, which I don't know where the hell that came from. But, uh, yeah, that was very, uh, at, at the minimum, very good, uh, very good basketball and intriguing basketball to watch. And uh, the rest of it was probably the best of the tournament. Yep, uh, and I should have paid a little more attention to West Virginia. Maybe should have given their their defense and their offense a little bit more credit this year. Uh, should have had them beating Notre Dame, but then again, Notre Dame played a terrible game there in the second round. Uh, I, I, so I'm going to have to pay attention to some more of these teams next year, some of these fours and fives, and see if they can really make a run. Staying in the West then, Arizona-Xavier was a really good game. Those two teams went back and forth, and Arizona had an eight-point lead with like two minutes to go, a minute and a half. And for whatever reason, uh, uh, Alonzo Trier hit fit, had 15 consecutive points, I believe. He was the guy for Arizona. But then they just decided not to go down low to who was at Markinen. They just said, hey, let's just shoot jump shots here. Let's shoot contested jump shots. Let's not try and get inside and get an easy layup or get a foul and go to the free throw line. Said, let's just jack up shots. I don't know if that was uh, head coach Sean Miller's game plan or if that was just the team thinking that they could take Xavier down by doing the jump shots. But that wasn't going to happen, and Xavier, to their credit, uh, they they came down. The Fighting Bill Murrays scored some late buckets, and they wound up winning the game by one. They end the game on a 9-0 run, which I find completely unexcusable for Arizona, given the talent that they have, the coach, and just being in that position. You, you're you a 2-seed playing an 11-seed. You should not give up an 8-point lead with a minute and a half to go. Tournament where it's been not good to have a lead late. Or you, Villanova, they lost it against Wisconsin, outscored 15 to 5 in the last five minutes. Um, Wisconsin, Florida went back and forth. We saw the Kentucky Carolina game. Leads were almost blown both sides there. For for whatever reason, some teams can't hold a lead late. And uh, that was another case where Trier shot a three that was well defended, and all he needed was a two to tie. And uh, he did not do that. So another case where two would have been just fine, and they didn't. And uh, remind me always to pick Xavier to win a couple games. Yes. This is the year I didn't pick him to win any. I'm severely disappointed because I always love Xavier. They're my Clemson for basketball now. And um, I, I told you, yeah, we had to pick the. If I said that the, earlier in the season that if would Xavier be the Cle, the Clemson of basketball here for you? And yeah, I'm on board. Yeah. I think they, uh, I think Xavier and Butler are going to be extremely good next year in the Big East. I think they are the top two without question headed into next year. I'll give Villanova the benefit of the doubt there. Well, the Villanova will be good too, but I think if we're looking for teams that are going to make significant runs in the NCAA tournament, already projection projecting a, a, a year, I pick Xavier and Butler to make significant runs and be yeah. like among the top five or six seeds. Or like, like get a, a four, five, or six seed, maybe even a three. But uh, yeah, Xavier, Xavier, eleven seed, one of the last teams in, just didn't play well. They lost. They didn't beat anybody during the year. They had a lot of games, had a lot of opportunities, but they didn't. You know, they should have won more than they did. But uh, man, next year they probably probably win more of those games. Yep, and uh, again, I this is perhaps a slightly unpopular opinion, and I don't. Again, I'm not saying I necessarily think that it should happen but Arizona is one of I would say the top five or six 
passionate ba- college basketball programs in the nation behind the likes of Kentucky and uh, Indiana, North Carolina, Duke. Maybe you want to throw in Louisville. I'm I'm fine with that. But Arizona loves their basketball. They love basketball way more than anything else there at that school. And I, I mean, Sean Miller is now the coach that has won the most games without appearing in a Final Four. He was with Xavier. He went to Arizona. We went through it uh, on the Google chat on Sunday night that uh, he has made the Elite Eight three times there in, what, eight seasons? So that's good percentage. That's 42 point, uh, 42.5%, 42.3 er, out of eight. I'm sorry, that, that would be 37.5%. Uh, so, I mean, that's that's good, but he hasn't been able to go over, get over that hump. And I think this year... With the Final Four being in their own backyard in Glendale, and everyone was thinking that they had the team that could take down Gonzaga and reach the Final Four, this has to be an this is an incredibly big disappointment for them. And the the heat's on him, man. I think he's only got one or two seasons left to prove if he can get Arizona over that hump. Would you say if they were lost to Gonzaga, you would not be saying this? Probably, probably not. And I think, uh, yes, I think the the two things that work against Miller in this situation is that a or one Xavier was an 11 seed, and two had an eight or he had an eight point lead with a minute and a half to go and lost. Those things I think will drive the fan base nuts, and also knowing the fact that again the Final Four was in their own backyard. I, I just look at those two those two things in particular, I think, is that could be the driving force that could really force Arizona to say, hey, this is a make-or-break year coming up next year for you, Sean. Yeah, you kind of mentioned they lost to an 11 seed. So, like, if they lost to the 3 seed, that was Florida State or whoever else. So it would not have, that again would not have been as damaging as losing to Xavier, even though Xavier just absolutely throttles. Yes. Yep. Yep. I think it's. Yep. I think it's just the the circumstances, the pieces that are involved here. That's the only reason why I say that. Because most. Yeah, I mean, they usually. I mean, they usually are maybe the Kansas of the West, always yep. uh, top three, four seed, and they do disappoint a lot of times. And with being there in Arizona, and that's what's the first. Western Final Four in 20 years or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. So they didn't have an opportunity there. And if you have to play South Carolina, they probably would have a good chance to beat South Carolina. So, um, yeah, you, you, I guess you feel more strongly about it than I do. Yeah. I would say if it happens next year, I would be more on board. Yeah, but they're not, uh, we, we know they're not getting rid of him. And uh, I'm sure he knows that they have underachieved and they've not. And they, they should have been to a Final Four by now, but they just have not. So. Right. And I think that's why also you can look at Bill Self, who we'll get to here in just a moment. And I think that there are, there are people who are getting a little tired of Bill Self in Kansas constantly underachieving in the NCAA tournament. But the one thing that Bill Self has in his corner that works in his favor is the fact that he's made it to a Final Four and won a championship. At Kansas. I'm glad you brought him up. I'm glad you brought him up because they have been to the tournament 14 years in a row. Yes. Uh, they've made two Final Fours. 
They won that one national championship. They lost to Kentucky in 2012. Yep, and the, that one championship against Memphis was only because John Calipari's team couldn't make free throws down the stretch. John Calipari, another guy. Yeah, has really good teams. Maybe doesn't win. But he's got one national championship? Yes. 112? I mean, I mean, it's, it's something that these coaches don't. Uh, it's very hard. I think it's just it's very, very hard just to win one. It took Jim Beheim 30 years to do it. And he, yep. he almost did it again last year. But it's, it's very hard to do this, even if you are at, at the best teams in, in the country. Uh, seven Elite Eights in those 14 years, which is good. It also means they've lost in the Elite Eight five times. So I would say, you know, add Kansas to that list of teams that you would assume would get there more often because they seem like they're always a one or a two seed. They've always won that conference. Yep. Yeah, yeah, they they always win the Big 12 regular season. You can set your clock to it. Yeah, I mean, there's three things in life that are certain. It's death taxes and Kansas winning the Big 12 in men's basketball. Uh, out of Kansas, Kentucky, and Arizona, three uh, pretty rabid fan bases, I would say Kentucky and Kansas – much more so over Arizona, but still throwing Arizona in the mix here. I would say that Kentucky fans, they they demand perhaps a little more than fans at Kansas. But the fact that John Calipari, though he only has the one championship, is able to get his guys to the Elite Eight to a Final Four consistently with one and duns. His program relies more on one and duns than Kansas and Arizona, wouldn't you say? That would be accurate, yes. So I think the fan base there, while they want the Final Fours, they are still getting the best players in the country and you know they're only going to be there for one year you hope it pans out but at the same time you don't have a lot of holdovers a lot of seniors that willis was i believe a senior this year and he he made quite a few big time shots for the wildcats throughout this tournament uh but kansas frank mason the third He's been around a little bit. Josh Jackson is going to be a one and done there. Arizona, of course, you have Alonzo Trier. He's going to be a one and uh, he'll be done after this year. Uh, that that Markinson guy, he's probably going to be one and done. But Arizona for the and Kansas for the most part have had more guys who have stuck around than Kentucky. So I, I'd say Calipari is in a, in a slightly separate category than self. And Miller, and again, the fact that he's won a national championship, been to multiple Final Fours, and Elite Eight certainly helps him in that regard. If you look at the teams that are in the Final Four, the one and done really not around there. No. Carolina. I'd probably put Carolina as the best team of the past, I don't know, five or ten years. Everything they've accomplished, this is, you know, I remember Final Fours they've been to, four or five, and they've been to... They won two national titles and been to a third and probably going to get to a fourth here next week. So if you want to say they're number one, which I will, you probably make that argument. And one and done's really, I mean, they really don't have that. So. Yeah, and they would probably be those the school. Them and maybe I'll say Michigan State are the two major Power Five schools that have been able to keep the star players around or these four-star talents around longer than, say, the Dukes, the the Kentuckys, so on like that. They're not going to have that, you know, lottery pick. 
but they're going to do very good. They're going to do very good. Uh, Marvin Williams, a dozen years ago, was a only state for his freshman year. He never, he never even started. He's had a a good NBA career, a long one. Not great, but he's... Where the hell is he even at now these days? He's with my Hornets. Oh. And he's just, you know, a guy. Uh, he's got a good contract. Definitely not an all-star. He's lasted a dozen years in the league. Um, you look at uh, Carolina, I mean, the, the 05 team that won it and the 09 team that won it are carbon copies of each other. If you look at the roster, they both had the point guard, they both had the big man, they both had, like, the senior leader guy who wasn't the best player, was that senior leader guy. Uh, they both had the great defender. They both had the, the young guy. It's really, the rosters are quite similar. And this one's got a little bit of that as well. Uh, Joel Berry the second. Uh, you know, the, the point guard on the Roy Williams teams uh, is the most important player. They're not the best player, but it's the most important. Mm-hmm. Where if they do not have that point guard, they're screwed. And mm-hmm. uh, Berry with his ankles have held up. Right, the big guy down low, uh, Kennedy Meeks. Got Jackson, who's probably their best player. Yep, and I hope he's. I hope he sticks around. If he if he comes back, I will put North Carolina as one of the favorites to make it back next year. I doubt he will stay, but uh, I mean, you put him in this in this May guy. I mean, he made. Some, I mean, he made the big shot in Sunday's game, which we'll get to. But I, there are still pieces in place for North Carolina if they want to make another run next year. Should Jackson elect to come back? Yeah, and if you don't, I mean, they've got, you know, they always have plenty of pieces to replace guys. And it seems like they're a team that, you know, guys stay three or four years. And uh, even, it works out for them. Even if they don't get the best players like the Dukes or Kentuckys, maybe in the Arizonas or Indianas, you, I would like to see North Carolina get back and get some of these four-star, five-star guys. It just doesn't seem like it happens nearly as much as it used to. Could you ever have the... Uh, Great players Kentucky have for a year and continue to get them year after year, or have the same guy for two or three years. They're not as good, but they're they are just as successful, if not more successful, than Kentucky is. I've provided that they can at least beat Duke once a season, make a deep run okay. in the NCAA tournament, and like you say, get to a Final Four, maybe win a, a championship. I will take that. It's just a matter of will those four star guys, will even the, a lot of the the, the upper end three star guys, will they go to North Carolina? Versus some of these other big programs out there, I I don't know. I would hope so. You would compare Villanova to the teams this year that they have guys. I mean, their key contributors were pretty much all back from last year. That's why everybody liked them. Yep. Yep. I was uh, one of them. You look at Buddy Heald uh, with Oklahoma last year with senior, saw a junior, senior. Yep. Been there a long time. So I mean, the one that Duns. Look at it. They only haven't had a ton of success. They've probably not had any more success than, than all these other teams that have guys. Let's say two or three years. Yep. No, I I completely uh, completely get it and, and agree with that point. Uh, just to finish up quickly on the on the Thursday games in the Sweet 16 in the Midwest, uh, Oregon and Michigan played a really good game back and forth. Oregon ended up winning 69-68. Uh, Michigan missed a shot there at the end, so their magical run uh, was done. And then Kansas fell behind early to Purdue. It looked like Purdue might have their way. And then Kansas all of a sudden went on a blitz, a huge run, and put this game way out of reach for Purdue. Uh, that was kind of stunning, wouldn't you say? 
yeah, I mean, that, that was a great, um, I didn't catch a lot of it with Scott. I mean, Wisconsin, Florida was, Wisconsin was up early, Florida was up late. I'd say that, that that first half, right before Kansas went on the run at the end of the first half, I'd say that first 15 minutes were great. Looked like it was going to be track meet, both teams in the 80s. That was going to be great. Then I don't know what the hell happened. Jesus Christ. Yeah. Kansas just put the boots. Just put the boots to Swanigan and Folk. And goddamn. Um, I looked at that final score. I quit watching after a while because there was no reason to. Hell, I ended up being 32. I was like, Jesus Christ. Yeah, that, Kansas. It, yeah. They were the most impressive team in the tournament through three games. Yes. They killed Michigan State. And they killed Purdue. They were killing Big Ten teams left and right. And then the year Ducks got them. But, uh, Purdue, good showing, but with goddamn, they got steamrolled there in that the second half. Yes. Yep. And then Friday's games, uh, South Carolina d- took it to Baylor in the East Region out, out there in Madison Square Garden. That wasn't much of anything to write home about. North Carolina beat Butler very easily. Again, nothing too much to write home about. Uh, the Kentucky UCLA game, everyone is building that game up as the game that, uh, like, this was, oh man, we're going to see Lonzo Ball against all these, you know, Malik Monk. This is going to be a great game. See UCLA score a lot of points and uh ball did not have a great game now there could be some off the court factors he has some family issues his mom has some health concerns so that's not good i don't know how much of a role that played into his bad game but he did not play well uh and kentucky did the kentucky did they show you something in this game yeah i mean ucla just they just couldn't stop anybody when when they would lose games, it would be because their defense was bad. Yep. And um, and their offense just couldn't, couldn't keep up. First half was fun. Second half was disappointing. UCLA never made that run. So it was good that Kentucky had a lead. And they didn't give it up. And, uh, yeah, I had UCLA winning this game over Wichita State. And, uh, I mean, yeah, Kentucky, uh, pretty good showing there. A hell of a game against Carolina, but... Uh, because they, those are the two big games, the last two. And if they beat the team in the regular season, they lost in the tournaments. If they won in the tournaments, that means they lost to you in the regular season with those yep. two games. Yes. And then the game Friday night to cap it off, that extended into Saturday morning on the East Coast. Wisconsin and Florida, the eight seed against the four seed. And Wisconsin got up early on Florida. Then Florida made a big run at the end of the first half. And they kind of extended that into the second half. They had a lead. And this, I mean, they had an eight or nine point lead with, you know, a minute and a half. It was just like Xavier and Arizona. But then here comes Wisconsin coming back. And then Showalter uh, gets a three-pointer. Was it Rex Showalter? Hits a three-pointer with 2.4 seconds left. He's leaning into it. And it, it was just an amazing moment. He gives the discount double check there. Aaron Rodgers in attendance oh. approved. Uh, I mean, this was an unbelievable comeback by Wisconsin. Missed uh, free throws and turnovers for Florida. Doomed them in this stretch. Uh, and then Wisconsin, in overtime, gets a has a lead, a four-point lead, I believe. And they are about ready to, to make it a six-point lead. And then Barry... For Florida, hustle play to get a block shot that kind of 
swung momentum back into in Florida's favor. They get a layup here, and then they start following Nigel Hayes a lot. And Nigel Hayes is not a good free throw shooter. He wants to get paid. He thinks college athletes should get paid. Uh, if, good thing they aren't paying him to make free throws, though, because he was bad. He was 5 of 12. What a shot. What a shot at high. My God. Uh, so Nigel Hayes had his struggles there. Wisconsin, a two-point lead with five seconds or four seconds left. And then uh, Chris Giazzo gets the basketball and drives up the court. And a leaning three-point shot falls swish. Game over, 84-83 Gators win. One of the more stunning Performances, one of the more amazing games you will see in an NCAA tournament. Uh, and it just, yeah, in an NCAA tournament, the first overtime game, the first buzzer beater, all happened in the same game. This was quite the game. I missed all of it. That is a shame. That sucks for me because I had to get up at 5 o'clock the next day, so I'm like, I'm not staying up for Wisconsin, Florida. And Florida's going to have the whole second half. And, um,. Thing about it is I didn't get to sleep till like one o'clock anyway, so I got up like at twelve thirty. Like, all right, what happened in this game? Like, oh, went in overtime. Florida made a crazy shot to win it. That's nice. So yeah, it sounded like a hell of a game. Uh, buzzer beaters and what we've been expecting and what the what the tournament is all about. The overtimes and the buzzer beaters and back and forth and back and forth. And another game and where you had a lead late. That was not good. Right. So, um, yeah. And for Wisconsin, because everybody hates, hates Wisconsin, they played the most entertaining final half hour of the tournament. And uh, you were on Florida, and Florida had a good showing this year. So yes, they. I, I I regret very much going to bed when I did. Yeah, and then Saturday you have the two Elite Eight games uh, in the West. Gonzaga took it to Xavier. I mean, Xavier tried to make it a game, but never could. They dared the Zags to shoot threes and Gonzaga said okay we will unlike against South Dakota State this time they actually made their three point shots and put Xavier away for good uh, pretty easily Uh, so nothing really to talk about there other than Gonzaga make it to their first final four and then Oregon Kansas I mean this was a back and forth game throughout the entire first half and then the last minute Oregon goes on an 8-0 run it has a 44-33 lead, and you wonder, I mean, Josh Jackson picked up a couple of early fouls in this one, so he didn't have any points in the first half. Could they get going, uh, could Kansas get going if he got going? Uh, and unfortunately for Kansas, they just could not knock down a three-point shot in the second half to save their lives that could have really gotten them back in the game. I was a little surprised they kept trying to shoot the three ball as much as they did uh, instead of trying to you know, get a closer jump shot, maybe drive in. But then again, you didn't want to drive in because Jordan Bell was a blocking machine. He had eight blocks in this game to go along with, what, 13 points and 11 rebounds? Or 11 points and 13 rebounds. Flip-flop it all the way you want. Jordan Bell was outstanding in this game along with uh, uh, along with Dorsey, who had 27 points. And Oregon hung on to beat Kansas 84-70. to uh, It was 66-60 to with about a minute and a half to go, but quite impressive by the Ducks. It was. Kansas made a run at the end there, but yeah, when they were down by 15, that was just too many points to come back from. Oregon was hitting everything. Kansas was hitting nothing. And uh, talked last week about South Carolina when they're home. 
Kansas, Kansas City. It's less than an hour away, and they lost. So they, I mean, again, with them in the uh, group with Arizona, my God, Kansas. They lost at home. So that's not good for them. Another disappointment for Kansas. You know how much I hate Kansas. And uh, the Ducks, without Boucher, they did it. Uh, Rhode Island let them off the hook. Michigan let them off the hook. And they got to Kansas and beat the hell out of Kansas. So they got Carolina. But uh, very impressive there for for Oregon to to do what they did without Boucher and uh, to reach the Final Four, which a lot of people like you thought they would. And uh, goddamn they did. Yeah, I I regret not... Well, you, you just didn't know. You just didn't know because they didn't play well against Arizona. And Rhode Island, I mean, they should have lost Rhode Island. You just didn't know. Yeah. And they, they just got by. If they play that, yeah, they're, they're, they're very fortunate to, to get where they are. Yeah, I mean... And I think the reason that that scared me and I think a lot of other people away from Oregon because we were all looking we were we were looking for a reason not to take Kansas to the final four out of the Midwest but because this was how we deemed it the the region of teams that constantly underachieve whether it was Iowa State or Purdue or Louisville there are just so many teams in there that underachieved and I, the Oregon the injury to Chris Boucher. He was their leading shot blocker. You knew he could go back and knock a shot down from the outside. I, that was a huge loss to them. Or, But then you still have guys like Dorsey and Dylan Brooks who are phenomenal. And maybe I, I should have paid more attention to just see what kind of dominant force Jordan Bell would be. Because he, again, he was the difference maker in this. And I... I regret not taking the Ducks, but like you said, they should have lost to Rhode Island. So, I mean, for whatever that's worth, uh, it, it's it's tough to kind of go against that logic, but at the same time, I, I do wish I had taken Oregon because of these guys and because I was on them pretty much, you know, since, since they pulled their names out of the NBA draft last year. Yeah, but yeah, you just didn't know what to expect and it's a shit it would have could have and we loved Rhode Island and I liked Michigan yep so it was they should have lost Rhode Island that's all it comes up to but they didn't yep. now, they're, now they're in the final four Yes, they are for the first time since 1939 and uh, then on Sunday South Carolina as we mentioned fell behind by Florida uh, in the first half, down by seven, and then defensively took over. And Florida, like Kansas the night before, they didn't make a three-point shot in this in the second half. Kansas made one late. Florida did not, and I think that was their downfall in this game. Uh, they could not knock down a shot from the outside, and credit South Carolina's defense for that. And then uh, the the game that could maybe take down Wisconsin, Florida, though I I guess I would have to put it second was Kentucky and North Carolina. Two blue bloods, literally and figuratively, uh, going back and forth. Uh, North Carolina had a stretch there extending in the late first half to early second half. Seven minutes without a field goal, yet somehow they still had the lead until Kentucky took a one-point lead, and then UNC got it back. They would go back and forth. Another long, dry spell for North Carolina gave Kentucky a five-point lead, 64-59. At this point, I think a lot of people... uh, us included, we're a little worried about North Carolina, weren't we? Yeah, I mean, uh, 
I think you were more than I. I mean, at the end there, yeah, when they were down five, that was not looking so hot. So, um, yeah, getting the lead late didn't work. They went on a 10 nothing run there. And Kentucky comes out of nowhere, and Monk, who nobody gets it going like Monk does when he gets it going. And uh, great shot there by May, a little 18-footer or 20-foot right on, right on the three-point line. Good back-and-forth game, nowhere near what they played in, in December, but that was a, one of the best games I've ever seen. But, yeah, two of well, the most talented teams in the tournament going back and forth. You had Fox, you had Monk, you had Adebayo, all with two fouls in that first half. So that affected what uh, Kentucky could have done in Carolina. Probably should have been up by more than, what, five and a half. Yep. With their three best players on the bench. But uh, a lot of guys uh, had a chance to contribute that you wouldn't expect. And, uh, yeah, that was uh, outside of the Wisconsin uh, Florida thing, which I didn't see. This was the best finish of the tournament. And so... Who was a monk hits that three there to tie the game? Some people thought he should have gotten a foul called on that. Then instead, and John Calipari said after the game that he regretted not calling a timeout there to be able to set the defense. And Roy Williams, who has been much maligned in the past for calling for not calling timeouts, didn't call a timeout and just said, "Hey guys, let's run the floor." And that's a an absolutely the right move to do here because you don't want the defense to get set. They got uh, got going there. May hits the shot. Uh, this guy kind of came out of nowhere. I first really started paying attention to him uh, in a game against Duke this year when he knocked down some big shots, and he's had a very good tournament. So, yeah, UNC back in it, and uh, they will take on Oregon. Points of plenty in this game in the Final Four. I, I don't know. Have they come out with the TV times yet on it? Yeah. Um, oh, oh, here's your TV times. 5.09 Central Time, for Christ's sake. 5.09. Yep, there we go. In Vega game, and then 40, about 40 minutes after, so probably 8.15 or probably 8.20. Well, 7.49 is what it is currently scheduled at, yeah, then. That sure is going to happen. Right. Uh, yeah, so the same times as the games were on Saturday on TBS. But they will be on CBS, so you do have number seven South Carolina against number one Gonzaga, and 509 on CBS from uh, University of Phoenix Stadium in Glendale. This is the first game of the tournament that is being played in a football stadium. I, a lot of people say it it messes with the de- with the depth perception for some uh, for the players to uh, to knock down the shots. So that's why you have to practice and have open shoot arounds there. But uh, I mean. Tough luck. It, it, this is a big event. You're you need more than twenty than a, a standard basketball arena to fill in the the throngs of fans that want to come out and watch this. A football stadium will do that for them. So, in this situation, in this scenario here, uh, Gonzaga and South Carolina probably haven't. They've never had to play on a football. Nope, Gonzaga did in Houston a couple years ago. I should say. South Carolina hasn't, so I wonder how this will affect both teams. But both teams are very strong defensively. It it's tough to go against Thornwell and the the Gamecocks, uh, the second half cocks, I should say. But uh, I, I I'm leaning towards Gonzaga in this one just because it seems like Mark Few and and the guys have something going this year that's uh, really special. I probably take the under in both games. It's one thirty eight. For Gonzaga, uh, South Carolina, that's yep. 151 in Oregon, Carolina. So I'm taking the under in both of those games. Uh, South Carolina, six and a half point underdog. 
Carolina, a five-point favorite. This has been a tournament of teams covering the spread. So teams that have covered the spread have done very, very well. Yeah, we'll see how that uh, depth perception thing happens. But um, you know, at this point, again, once you get past the second round of the tournament, it's I think all the games are complete toss-ups. Yep. And um, Oregon, Carolina, and I obviously I'm going to pick the two favorites here. And it's a matchup everybody would want to see, Gonzaga and Carolina. I think that'd be a terrific game. And teams that, I don't know if they've ever played or not, so this would be, uh, be pretty good. Final four, and I think we're going to continue that streak of great championship games. The There's really only one matchup that I think a lot of people would not be dying to see and that would be South Carolina and Oregon but if you got an Oregon-Gonzaga matchup that's great you have two teams in the West Coast area with the Final Four being played on the West Coast there in Arizona that'd be great North Carolina-South Carolina championship game I mean that that has drama uh, dripping all over it uh, I like you think North Carolina's just going to be able to get by Oregon and I will take Gonzaga though I I I am far less confident with picking Gonzaga over South Carolina than I am North Carolina over Oregon. And even there, I'm not all that confident in. But I think regardless of we're going to be getting a great matchup in the championship game. But I think Oregon-South Carolina would be the game that fans would least likely would be least likely to tune in. I would say that would be accurate, yes. South Carolina-Oregon, not a lot People would not be interested in that. Darius Ruckerwood, though, uh, bless his soul. Yeah. We'll see what happens there. If you, if you take a look at the, the – they were talking about the alums from every school. Apparently, Bing Crosby went to Gonzaga. Uh, so it's Bing Crosby against Darius Rucker there for South Carolina. And then uh, UNC in Oregon, it's Michael Jordan against Phil Knight. So there you go. Millionaire versus billionaire. Yeah. Funny how that works, right? Sure. So it should be a great game, uh, great Final Four, and then that'll be the end to the college basketball season, and we'll just have to wait until next year. And I'm sure we will be talking a lot of college basketball again next year because it's been a lot of fun this year, hasn't it? I've probably followed more closely than I ever have, and it's, uh, it's been good. Bracket hasn't been great, but if I could pick the winner, that would salvage bracket, maybe give me a top ten finish, and be all important. Back and bracket challenge. Yes, yes, and we'll anxiously await then next year. A couple of college basketball head coaching moves. Archie Miller leaves Dayton for Indiana. Uh, that's a very good hire, I think, and a good move for Archie Miller to go to Indiana. Uh, we see Will Wade leave VCU for LSU. That was a bit of a puzzling move. Uh, who's it? Uh, the Rice head coach was it? Rhodes left then for VCU. He was an assistant at VCU under Shaka Smart before, so he co- goes back there. Um, and you have some of these other schools, Drake and Quinnipiac, and you know who cares about the some of these other schools? But uh, any any head coaching news out there that really uh, the I guess the big one is Archie Miller. What do you think of that one? Yeah, it was good. He's kind of done all he has. could do with Dayton. Whether it's the Elite Eight one year. Done well there. This is definitely a step up. And uh, see, we'll see when they fire him. We'll see how soon it takes to fire Archie Miller. Good move for him. Uh, VCU guy going to LSU. Yeah, I don't know about that. I don't think I'd like to be at, uh, at LSU. 
so that's not great. Wouldn't um, Tom Crean have been a better option at LSU than Will Wade? I don't, I don't know why. I'd say Will Wade's fine. I don't know why the hell anybody would want to go there. God, they're bad. They are. They couldn't even get to the tournament with the best player last year in uh, Ben Simmons. Not great. Not great. SEC, not great. So, interesting move there. But, uh, it's, uh, we're kind of done with the coaching changes. Well, the big ones have kind of been filled because Steve Alford stayed at uh, UCLA, and that would have been a huge domino shift. But he stayed, and Indiana said that uh, that was that one big job. Georgetown is the lone big one available right now. Uh, And there is talk, of course, of Patrick Ewing maybe being rumored to be a favorite there. I also heard today, or on on Monday, a report or some thoughts that maybe Shaka Smart could go to Georgetown and leave Texas. That would make me become a big Georgetown fan. I don't think. I mean, yeah, I don't think they're doing that. I don't think he's doing that. But why? I mean, he he was he was very successful at VCU, which is in Richmond, uh, fairly close to DC. So the recruiting aspect there, I think, would be uh, of significance. And if you want someone outside of the uh, the John Thompson or Georgetown family, Shaka Smart would be one of the better options, I would say. Be good for them, but boy, he'd really say screw you to Texas. I mean, Texas isn't a job. Say, like, well, I'm here for two years, and he gave me all this money and this long deal, and I'm just going to leave you high and dry. I'd say he shouldn't do it, but I, I don't think he would. I'd say he's a Texas for a while. Um, because it's, it's not great right now in Texas. When he got the Texas job, though, we were a little surprised by that. Didn't think that maybe that was the right fit for him. So maybe if, if he sees Georgetown being a better fit, uh, wouldn't, you, wouldn't you leave? Would I leave? I think, you can right. get, I think you can get better talent at Georgetown than you can at Texas. Because Georgetown's a brand. They have a history. Texas really doesn't. They've had good teams in the past. Of course, you got Kevin Durant. Uh, Rick Barnes routinely led Texas to the NCAA tournament when he was there. Now he's at Tennessee. Uh, And Shaka Smart is still a hot young name there. I just think that if if you are Shaka Smart, or if you're Georgetown and you want Shaka Smart, and if Shaka Smart receives a phone call, I'd go to Georgetown because of the name recognition, because of all the guys that in the D.C. area, it'd be very easy to recruit versus Texas. I, I just think the signs of Georgetown would be better, even though there would be more pressure than there is at Texas. I don't know if there's a athletic department that has more money than Texas. So as far as resources, you have you have anything you, you ever need. Georgetown, and maybe not so much. So Texas is probably the number, I don't know if I, I guess you might put them at number one. As far as money is concerned, I think they would be the biggest. Them, Ohio State, like Alabama football is pretty big. But uh, they're, they're, they are a, they, they're a huge company, University of Texas Athletics. So he's not, yeah, yeah, I would be very surprised if he would move there because he has everything he needs as far as resources and money. You know, the only thing, though, is Texas is still a football school. 
So, and I, I get that the athletic budget is big. I I would, though, if, if Georgetown called, I think Shaka Smart would give it a very long thought, and I would give him a, I would say, 65-35 tilt that he would take Georgetown, the, the Georgetown job over Texas. I think it'd be a step down. That, that's fair. I mean, the, the Big 12 in general next year, you're, you're taking a look. I mean, Oklahoma State was a team that I thought would be on the rise, but uh, with with Steve Underwood leaving for Illinois, I don't see them making it back. Plus, they had, you know, one of their guys who was at Evans. He's leaving for the NBA draft. Uh, TCU might be good uh, in year two under Jamie Dixon. We'll see what Baylor does again. I'm sure they'll be up there. Kansas, Kansas State, Iowa State will be okay, but... Um, yeah, the, the Big 12, I'd say that the Big 12 right now probably has the best team overall between the Big 12 and the Big East in Kansas. But I think that the Big East is overall a stronger conference. They both have 10 teams? Yes. I'd pick the Big 12. Big 12's got seven, what, seven tournament teams? Big East has four, maybe five. I'd say, I mean, Texas is the worst team in the Big 12. We wouldn't expect that to continue. TCU traditionally been the worst team. And they've gotten really good really quickly. And they're making a deep run in the NIT. I, I, I would take the Big 12. Big 12 top to bottom is, I mean, TCU, if you want to put TCU as the eighth or ninth best team in that conference. Oklahoma was terrible this year. That ain't going to continue. You look at Oklahoma, they were the worst or second worst team and they made the Final Four last year. So that tells you kind of the depth of that conference. And uh, Texas Tech wasn't great. And uh, TCU is getting better. So I, I would take... There's some, there's some garbage. St. John's. Yeah, DePaul. Um, DePaul, there's some, there's some bad teams at the bottom of the Big East. Top to top, top four or five is pretty good, but uh, I would take top seven, eight of the Big Twelve. All right, well, we'll see. We'll see what happens with that. I'm sure we'll have some news next week on it. By the way, South Carolina, uh, fewer people picked them to reach the Final Four than three of the four sweet or three of the four sixteen seeds, and that includes South Dakota State. So, uh, just one other final thought there on. The final four uh, preview as we look forward to that on Saturday. Games at CBS at the University of Phoenix Stadium there in Glendale, Arizona, home to the Arizona Cardinals. Uh, not too far away uh, in Arizona, actually, like right down the road, and I believe they're in Phoenix at the Biltmore. The NFL owners are meeting, and uh, we have another team relocating. Or they say they're going to relocate, and it was approved 31-1. to The Oakland Raiders are going to Las Vegas to be the Las Vegas Raiders. But they aren't moving for another two, maybe three years. Mark Davis says that he wants to bring a championship to Oakland and then pack the bags and move. Uh, I think, uh, oh, I, apparently he wants to raise ticket prices as well. Uh, Libby Schaff, the Oakland mayor, came out and said that Bay Area fans deserve deserve better. Well, I would also... I mean, this is... You know how much I hate Stan Kroenke. 
And I was much more sympathetic with San Diego, uh, with with Dean Spanos for moving San Diego to LA, even though it's a it's a terrible move business wise for them, uh, because they they had fought for fifteen the better part of fifteen years to try and get a stadium solution there in San Diego, and the local officials just really didn't want to work with them, and it, even though they wanted to make it look like they did, and it wasn't ever a real viable solution. And that's the same sort of scenario here in Oakland. However, it felt like for the greater part of the last year and a half that Mark Davis, owner of the Raiders, son of the late Al Davis, never really wanted to work with Oakland. He just had his mind and his eyes set on Vegas the entire time. But then again, uh, apart from a last-ditch Hail Mary effort by a group of investors led by Ronnie Lott, it seemed like the powers that be in Oakland and Alameda County never really fully wanted to invest in a stadium for the Raiders, and now they are saying that the NFL... uh, is that the fans deserve better. Well, maybe they deserve better leadership to help come up with a resolution to solve the stadium. I I I am this would I don't like the move to Las Vegas even though it, it makes sense. I think the NFL is very hypocritical on their gambling stances. We well know. But I would say amongst the three move among the three moves that we have seen St. Louis to LA San Diego to LA and Oakland to Las Vegas. I would put this one as my set in the middle, right there. Of uh, I I hate it from that standpoint, but I get it. Uh, there's equal blame to go on both sides here with this one. I'm fine. They should move. If you have excrements in your dugouts, you should move. It, that it, yes, absolutely, and that's why I don't. That's why I am okay with Davis moving the team, but I think that the I mean, he never really was interested in doing it. A just it, well, the the leaders weren't the, the 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 mayor and the elected officials. They didn't seem really interested in making a deal until it was too late. But uh, again, Davis really didn't seem like he was looking to make. It. I mean, he was flirting with San Antonio as well. Yeah, I mean, they, they, they can move. If Oakland doesn't want to have a stadium, that's fine. They're losing the Warriors. This is the last year Golden State's going to be in Oakland. So, uh, Athletics, only team in town. We're stadium in baseball. Probably next to Tampa Bay. Um, yeah, move, move, to, uh, move to Las Vegas. If there's any team ripe for Vegas, it's the Raiders. So, they're, uh, ho- hopefully they do well. Hopefully they do win a Super Bowl in the next couple of years. But, um, I mean, it's quite a distance away, many hundreds of miles. It takes five, six, seven hours to get to Vegas from Oakland. But I would assume if you're in Oakland, the local television station are going to show Raider games. So it should be good. I believe that Oakland, though, will not have a home field advantage because it is going. you are going to get a lot of fans from opposing teams saying, hey, let's fly to Vegas for the weekend. Uh, we'll go to the casinos, we'll go walk the strip, and then we'll go to the the game on Sunday and then leave. Uh, I do not believe this is going to be all that much. I mean, this is not the black hole by any stretch. I think it might be. I'll have to wait and see what I think. 
Hopefully, I don't know how big the stadium's going to be. But hopefully, I think there'll be enough black in the stands. The the what was it the uh, the Golden Knights I believe uh, hockey yeah hockey they are going to start next year so uh, they have forty one home games Oakland the, the the Raiders will only have eight home games I would say it's probably far more viable that uh, that Vegas would be able to support a football team than a hockey team, but the hockey games have all sold out. There's a huge passion down there in Vegas. Uh, they do have uh, uh, Jason Zucker from the Minnesota Wild is a Vegas native for whatever that's worth. I think it's going to be interesting to see how Vegas can support hockey in the early going, and then once football officially comes to Vegas, how they will be able to support both teams. So are they going to have another hockey team too? Are they going to add another one? I don't know. Or they have 31? They have 31. They would need 32, I would say. Probably uh, Quebec would be the most logical one, but I know that Seattle is looking for a team. Uh, Kansas City is looking for a team, possibly. I'd say those are your three likely destinations. Or you could just move Florida, move Carolina, move Arizona to uh, those three destinations. But then that would still leave you at 31. Yeah, probably add another one to make it thirty-two. Las Vegas hockey, that'll be interesting. It will, it will. But you're okay with this the decision overall? Does Al Davis deserve any blame here? He's dead. Or, I mean, sorry, Mark Davis. My bad, Mark. Um. Well, he, he, it's his decision. I mean, the owners voted for it, and I mean, they really don't. Voted with the Dolphins were the only team that voted against it. Yep. I mean, it's his decision to go. Um, I'm sure he probably got a better deal in Vegas than uh, if you wanted to work out a deal in Oakland. It would have been harder. And uh, probably just would have taken, it would not have been easy. I mean, this Vegas thing has been rumored for a while. They probably, it's pretty much, I mean, it, it's basically finished now. So, I, I'm, I'm fine with it. Yeah, I, I was. I would have been disappointed if they would have stayed in Oakland. Steven Ross was the, as you mentioned, from the Miami Dolphins, the lone uh, guy who blocked it. I'm trying to pull up his statement here as to why he voted against it. I, when I heard 31 to 1, I thought that the that it would be Mr. Who's it? Uh, the Brown of the Bengals that would have voted against it because he votes against everything. It seems like that the league wants to do uh, just to be a. You know, contrarian, I guess. So uh, the fact that Stephen Ross voted against it, and in part I, I read a statement, and I'm, again I'm trying to pull it up here in full, but he said that he wants cities to do everything, they or teams to do everything they can in the cities to make it work. And I think out of the three moves, the league is most upset by the Chargers leaving Especially since they're going to play at 30,000 seat StubHub Center, StubHub Stadium. They are home of the LA Galaxy. Uh, this the, the Chargers are going to be a joke in a real hurry if they aren't already. I assume these other owners had to vote for these other relocations? I would think so. Did, this, did the Dolphins vote against those as well? I do not know. I, I, I don't... Th- 
I know they. I don't think they did with the with St. Louis to L.A. I am unsure about the San Diego to L.A. I don't get that. Why would you vote against this one but not those? Let, let's see here. Here's the uh, here's the, the the statement by Stephen Ross, Miami Dolphins owner. "Quote: My position today was that as the, my position today Monday was that we as owners and as a league owe it to fans to do everything we can to stay in the communities that have supported us until all options have been exhausted. I want to wish Mark Davis, the, the Raiders organization, the best in Las Vegas." Uh, I mean, we've talked in large part, I think both of us, that the NFL has kind of, we're waning on it. It's just like, eh, it is, it's there, but we're, we're not nearly as excited about it as we used to be. We're not nearly as big of fans anymore. These moves are going to alienate a lot of fans. They've alienated a lot of fans in San Diego. They've alienated fans in St. Louis, though St. Louis still watched football. They still watched Rams games this year. And they're alienating fans in Oakland here as well, though at least Oakland has the San Francisco 49ers market for whatever that, you know, they have the 49ers there, so it's not going to hurt football ratings a ton. But you're still alienating football fans and you're still changing it. And this is, goes back to the whole rule thing, too, and the hits like you can't hit, you can't celebrate. The NFL is walking a dangerous tightrope, I think. They're still going to get the ratings, but eventually you're going to see that, keep seeing that decline and the NFL's popularity will continue to dwindle. And I am certainly there right now uh, with everything going on here. The NFL has become such a, a money grab. And I I really hate and it, you know it's the same with the NBA with uh I guess you know the players resting and everything and they the owners still take in all the fans money they don't offer refunds uh, for that but with regards to the NFL there's just way too much change happening to to make football not football and you're 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 hurting a lot of people in the process make football great again yes Yes, let's do it. I'll put. I'll make Plastic. a cap for it. Good. Make a terrible looking cap. <laughs> well, the decline of ratings last year. Hope that continues. Uh, when the TV deal comes up, whenever that comes up in the next decade, they'll get their billions of dollars. Um, I'm alienated by my favorite team, and they're not even moving just because they suck so much all the time. So, um, man, it's, you know, it's football. Not all that, not all that important. Basically, once a week. Thursday night football is terrible. Monday night football is awful. Watch the Vikings lose three hours, four months out of the year, and then say, "All right, that's enough." Maybe that'll change this year. Maybe. Uh, let's let's see. Anything else that we really got here? I guess uh, um, Adam Silver, speaking of the NBA, Commissioner Adam Silver. He released a, a memo. He sent a memo to the owners saying that we have to work on uh, last week, saying we have to work on the resting of the stars here, the starters. Uh, that you know, we have a right to tell the fans, the opposing teams, the opposing team media, or just the media in general. Otherwise, you will face significant penalties. Uh, I assume it would be in terms of fines, but maybe he goes as high as draft picks. This comes on the heels of the Warriors resting a lot of their starters against the Spurs in an ABC Saturday night primetime televised game. And then the uh, 
the Cavaliers rested a bunch of the, the, the top three, Love, Irving, and James against the Clippers the week after. So the NBA is taking a stance on this and good for Adam Silver in doing so. I, how, how do they fix this? Because this is an issue for the NBA, and Adam Silver wants to solve it, but at the same time, I, I, I would I would deem that uh, the NBA players today are somewhat uh, pussy-like compared to uh, compared to the nineties when you had Michael Jordan and I mean Jordan never rested. Is the game maybe a little more physical today? Sure, but at least you get first-class flights everywhere. You had, you don't have to fly commercial with the with the average Joe to get to games like they did, you know, back in the '90s or the the late '80s. I mean, this this is a is somewhat this is a big joke, and the NBA uh, is alienating a lot of fans that way. And uh, I, I don't know if it will necessarily reflect in the ratings come come playoff time. People will still watch. But uh, this is a problem that the NBA needs to fix. I think they'll fix it themselves. I don't see them ever finding any team. Oh, they, I think they did something with the Spurs. Yep, a with years ago. back in the day. But they don't care. Um, really nothing you can do. They don't. I mean, you find them a quarter of a million dollars. You give them, give them a, take away a draft pick. That's not great. But they don't. They don't care. Um, they're concerned about winning championships, so if sitting out two games in the middle of March is going to help you win a game in June, I don't know if it is or not. That's terrible. I'd say if you're going to take games off, take games off at home, because uh, play 41 home games a year. You're only in the other city once or twice, and people would like to see you play. So that would be an idea. When they're taking these games off for weird, Golden State took a game off against San Antonio, when San Antonio had all their players out too, that would seem to be like a, t- like a game that uh, Golden State could win if they just play some of their guys. And they lost that game, and they're in a fight for their one seed. They'll probably end up with it. That was very close. Uh, Cleveland rested their guys against the Clippers. Um, don't know why they played the Lakers the night after two nights later. I mean, they played the Clippers, and they were coming off of a off day the, the day before and they played the Lakers their next game in LA if you're going to sit against anybody sit against the Lakers because you can beat them with your D squad right very, just very odd decisions well the Cavs can't the Cavs rested their starters against the Lakers and they lost terrible so um, the Cavs suck right now they do and I mean, resting them on those Saturday night games, it's a good idea to put those Saturday night games on. There's not a lot of marquee NBA teams I'd give a damn about seeing, but they do put them on on Saturday night. And uh, yeah, NBA can't be real pleased. Neither can ESPN. No, or even TNT for that matter. And then I heard Mark Cuban, uh, who I've had a major problem with. I still don't know why that story. Uh, with him blackmailing Bleacher Report didn't uh, didn't get more traction, but he went on last week, I believe it was with Mike and Mike on ESPN Radio, and said that uh, the league, of course, is they're going to push the season up a week to try and eliminate some of the back-to-backs that uh, we're we're seeing here this year. So they're they're at least taking that but then he said that the arenas block so many dates off whether it be for con concerts or 
something else and he said that maybe owners now need to tell the arenas hey no uh, I don't care that the circus is coming I don't care that uh, Taylor Swift is singing here we are not going to block this day off if that means they lose a little money Cuban said so be it uh, that's a that's a that's all well and good at this point because he's saying that we have to help we have to be good to the fans to the NBA fans but at the same time, uh, there there are ways to work around that versus just blocking off your calendar. I mean, there there are ways around it. That's all I gotta say. I'd say, you know, San Antonio always takes a rodeo trip. Chicago always takes like a circus trip. I mean, those are big things for the arena, and they're gonna need the arena for a week or ten days. Yeah, I mean, it's it's fine. I mean, you can go on the road for a week or ten days. Plenty of time to not have back-to-back games. And if you are, lots of teams in the Northeast are very close to each other. Lakers and Clippers are in the same building. If you're going to have back-to-backs, play the Clippers and Lakers back-to-back nights. Play the Knicks and the Nets on back-to-back nights. Those are very easy to do. A lot of teams in Texas that are... Detroit and Toronto. Or Cleveland and Toronto. Obviously, yes. I mean, plenty of Florida teams that are only a couple hour flight away from each other. Washington uh, and Philadelphia. Get it done. Uh, if you got back-to-backs from Florida to Toronto, that's stupid. Get it done. Chicago, Milwaukee, playing back-to-back. Plenty of back-to-backs. Milwaukee and Minnesota. You can play back-to-backs. Shouldn't play a ton of them, but uh, just, just get it done. It's or, it's worked forever. It doesn't need to be changed. Or uh, just, yeah. Go ahead. Like Jordan didn't rest. He played 80, 80, 82 games every year. He was in his mid-30s. He was great. They won all the games. So, doesn't, doesn't, I mean, Reggie Miller um, was saying, like, he, like, if he could go, he would go. Like, he would feel wrong if he, even if he was less 75%. Like, well, I can, me at 75% is still pretty good, and I can contribute to the team, and I would feel like I let my team down. If I uh, if I was healthy enough to play, I was going to play. Yep. Uh, Charles Barkley said that he wouldn't have rested. Uh, I mean, this the, the the one thing here. Here's what the NBA could do. How about the maximum amount number of days that a team gets off in between games is two. Otherwise, try and play games every other night. Uh, if you if you have if you play on Tuesday, then the next game you play would be Friday. Just don't give don't give teams sometimes three and four days off. That would ding ding ding. That's problem solved. There there are ways around it, uh, but NBA players have to step up and say, hey, we need to play for the fans. And some are saying that, but it seems like too many of the star players. And I'm not going to single LeBron James out in this, even though I just said LeBron James. But it is the it is the you know the the Greg Popovich line of thought. You know it's the it's the Clay Thompsons, the the Steph Currys. That they're, oh we, we need to rest, or maybe that's the coach's decision. You know what? Shut up and play. I mean, and that's the that goes to the coaches. But again, the coaches are they've been hired to help coach this team to a championship. And if they're doing what's best, I don't know what the right, right solution is. But uh, it seems like players these days are far more they're, they're big wussies compared to back in the 90s. Especially playoffs are not playing back-to-back days. So you get plenty of rest in the playoffs. You get four days playoffs sometimes. Take, yeah, playoffs take way too long. So you get plenty of rest in the playoffs. So there's 
I mean, the games are kind of meaningless right now. Um, you got fights for the one seed, but they're not real fights. So, um, if they want to rest, they can. But play the games like they used to. Amen. Uh, next week, we'll recap the final four, recap the championship game, uh, Masters preview, and then a uh, extended baseball preview because the season starts on Saturday, on Sunday. Uh, I know you're excited about that. Anything else? Uh, so big show next week. Anything else uh, before we say so long for this week? To the podcast today on baseball. Twenty eighty. It's very good. Twenty eighty baseball podcast is the name of this show. We talked to Rob Nyer. He used to work for ESPN, Fox Sports as a writer. Now he does some of his own stuff. Talked to him for a half hour. Is very good. You can uh, watch that or listen to that on iTunes today. You can also listen to our National League preview, two hours there. We'll have an American League preview up this weekend. And uh, we have a big guest on Friday. His name is Tim Kirkton. No shit. I will have to listen to this then, for sure. How did you land Tim Kirkton? It won't be a half hour like this one. Hopefully we get 15, 20 minutes from Mr. Kirkton. Uh, I got his email address. I said, would you like to be on our show? He said, I think I can make that work on Friday. So hopefully that works. That hot damn. Good for you. Uh, Timmy Kirkton is my favorite baseball analyst, and uh, it's not even a question. He, he's very good There's at no his job. He's very good. He's excited about it. So that's great. Uh, definitely will need to make sure that I listen to that. So uh, let me know when that's ready because that's going to be great stuff. I should be ready hopefully Friday afternoon. So this uh, very much looking forward to that. And so hopefully that's the start of uh, lots of good guys on the show. Absolutely. Best of luck with that. And uh, enjoy the week. And we will talk to you next week uh, for a big, big show. Baseball Sunday, baseball from now until October and November. Terrific. Yeah, can't wait. Can't wait. Wake me up when September ends. God damn it. (laughs) Well, I'll get the picks in before then. And then wake me up when September ends and playoff baseball begins. I will. Again, bed sores, I always say. Bed sores. (laughs) Very good. Thank you, Travis. We'll talk to you next week. All right, we'll see you later. Travis Krenz, join us here at Sports Block Podcast. Appreciate his time and perspective as always. Great college basketball talk. Excellent stuff there with uh, uh, Tim Kirkjian going to be on the 2080 Baseball Podcast. You can find that on iTunes. Again, you can find Sports Block now on iTunes. Appreciate Travis's help with that as well. Uh, as you know, last week was the last Sports Block Podcast SEC Jack Rabbit edition. So uh, we'll talk about a couple other things here and then wrap up the show with the look at what's going on in the world of SDSU sports for this week. So a uh, couple little more, couple more things to get to here before we wrap up here on the sport for another week of the Sports Block podcast. So on the women's side in college basketball, uh, we have the Final Four. will be taking place Friday in Dallas at America Airlines Arena. American Airlines. Regardless, it's in Dallas. The arena of the Dallas Mavericks and the Dallas Stars. And uh, to no one's surprise, UConn is in it. They thoroughly whooped Oregon in the lead eight, 90-52. They will take on Mississippi State, who beat Baylor. And 
uh, enemy number. Well, they beat Kim Mulkey and Baylor, 94-85 in overtime. And anytime Baylor loses, we are happy. So Mississippi State will make their first ever Final Four appearance. They lost to UConn in the Sweet 16 last year by 60. So not 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 sure how they're going to play UConn this time around, but we'll certainly see. Having having said that, uh, UConn's going to thoroughly dominate them. And then on the other side, you have Stanford, who came back from 16 points down to take down Notre Dame in the Elite Eight. So the two-seed Stanford uh, said 176-75. So they will take on number one seed South Carolina who beat Florida State 71-64. to South Carolina won the Stockton region. Stanford, the Lexington region. UConn, the Bridgeport region. And Mississippi State, the Oklahoma City region. And I, I will take... I mean, Stanford's very, very good. But I'll take South Carolina... In part because it just seems like there's something in the water there in Columbia with both the men and the women uh, teams making the Final Four. That doesn't happen very often in in college basketball, so relish that fact and uh, enjoy it. I will take South Carolina to get to the championship game against UConn. These games are on Friday, 7 p.m. Eastern and 9.30 p.m. Eastern, so 6 and 8.30. And for all intents and purposes, UConn's going to win their fifth straight national title. They're going to win what their, their 500th consecutive game. I know it's, it's only going to be like 113 or 114, but still, it's ridiculous. They are a dominant force in sports, not just women's basketball. So, that'll be interesting. So, Friday, and I believe the championship game is on Sunday. They've upped it this year. Normally, the the Final Four is on Sunday and Tuesday. I was a little surprised to learn that it's on Friday this year, and I believe then the championship game on Sunday, or it, it should be on Sunday. It only makes sense. But, uh, yeah, interesting to say the least. Then again, uh, Final Four picks on the men's side. I will, I'll take Gonzaga over South Carolina, and I'll take North Carolina over Oregon. I don't feel confident with either of these picks, uh, given the the run that South Carolina has been on. It just seems like they're they're the team of destiny this year, and Oregon has Dylan Brooks and I mean Jordan Bell is outstanding, but North Carolina is been sensational. They played very good game against Butler. They had a dogfight against Kentucky. Had some stretches there where they couldn't score. And that that that's not good. That's gonna hurt them against Oregon. They're gonna need to they can't go through those droughts and expect to win. But ultimately I like North Carolina to win and beat Gonzaga in the championship to cut down the nets. It'll be a very good game. The games 509 
Central Time, 6.09 p.m. Eastern on Saturday, and 8.49 p.m. Eastern, 7.49 p.m. Central Time. Those games take place at University of Phoenix Stadium in Glendale, Arizona, home to the Arizona Cardinals at the NFL. Games around CBS Championship game is Monday night. I assume they're going to have some weird start time of 8.21 Central Time, 9.21 Eastern. I, I just, they, they always seem to do it, so that's what we'll go with. It should be a very good, it's been a good tournament. Not a great tournament, but a very good tournament. Nonetheless, we've seen some fantastic halves of basketball and some really good games here down the stretch. So that'll be great. Uh, no no more real NFL news. Uh, owners are proposing or adopting changes in the NFL, so that's great for whatever that is. I already know that the Oakland Raiders are moving. That's not great, but it is what it is. So let's get uh, let's get to it and get to the SDSU Sports update for this week of March 27th through April 2nd. And we will let, let's go to men's and women's track and field. Uh, Cal Lawton won the 800 meter title for the men uh, at the twilight, the opening track event. Uh, the opening outdoor track event of the season and at the Arkansas Spring Invitational in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So Lawton did an absolutely stellar job. Krista Steele finished second in the women's race. Uh, D- Dakota Leonard in her first in his first collegiate race finished second in the javelin throw. Uh, Micah Mather and Chandler Clawwater claimed runner-up finishes in the 3,000 meter steeplechase. In the 400 meter dash, Savannah Dolzel posted an outdoor personal best time of 56.91 seconds. So, a very good, very good uh, performances all the way around for men's and women's track and field in this event. They have multiple uh, term or uh, events this week, invitationals. The Texas Relays are March 29th through April 1st, so they're going on right now. That's in Austin, Texas at the Texas Relays. The Bobcat Invitational is in San Marcos, Texas. That's March 30th through April 1st, so again underway. And March 31st through April 1st is the Stanford Invitational in Palo Alto, California. So definitely check that out here, or check out the results. As always, you can find that on gojax.com. Uh, let's go to men's and women's tennis. Uh, the men, hey, things are maybe starting to turn around for them. Had a good weekend overall. They lost to Creighton 6-1 to on Friday down in Omaha, but finished the weekend with two wins up in Grand Forks, 4-3 win over Montana State on Saturday, and a 5-2 win over UND on Sunday, so good for them here, and they will take on uh, Oral Roberts in Omaha, so traveling back to Omaha to take on Oral Roberts this Saturday, April 1st at 11 a.m., and then taking on Omaha Sunday at 11 a.m., and both matches there are in Omaha, so good job to the men there for picking up a couple of victories there, and 
As for the women, they lost to Creighton 6-1 to there on Friday in Omaha. They will take on Oral Roberts and Omaha as well in Omaha this weekend. Uh, Oral Roberts Friday at 11 a.m. and then Omaha Saturday at 11 a.m. They will also take on Northern Arizona Sunday in Sioux Falls at 12 p.m. So good luck to them with their three matches here this week. Let's see what else we got here. Golf, they've been uh, there off this week. So I think both the men aren't doing anything until the Tiger Invitational in Columbia, Missouri, April 10th and 11th. So uh, we'll check the women's golf schedule here in just a second but the only other thing then on on the men's side is baseball and they had a tough weekend against Oral Roberts they got swept by them down in Tulsa they lost 7-6 to six on Friday they actually had to finish the game on Saturday it got, uh, it got postponed I believe it was weather related but a tough loss they lose 7-6 to six. They finished up that game on Saturday. They lost 11-5 then on Saturday and lost 6-2 on Sunday. So tough three-game stretch there. Their game against Mount Marty in Yankton was postponed. They will take on Dakota Wesleyan at 3 p.m. this Wednesday. Well, it's a, the game's already done, so you know what's going on at Irv Huther Field. And then three-game series against Fort Wayne at home in Brookings at Irv Huther Field. Uh, Take on Fort Wayne 3 p.m. on Friday, March 31st, then Saturday at 1 p.m. and Sunday finish up. They wrap up the three-game series at 1 p.m. as well. Women's softball, uh, they are doing fairly good this season, but they are on a bit of a losing streak right now. In fact, they they are currently on a six-game losing streak. They got swept by IUPUI in Indianapolis last weekend. Uh, they lost in their doubleheader on Friday, 5-4 to four and 6-1, to one, and then lost the uh, the last game of the series Saturday, 5-2. to two. They will take on South Dakota in Vermilion this Saturday. Uh, double double header on Saturday, and then series wraps up on Sunday. Double header starts at 12 p.m. and 2 p.m. there on Saturday, and then 11 a.m. on Sunday. They will take on. They have a two game about well, two game double header at Grand Forks at North Dakota, 2 p.m. and 4 p.m. on Wednesday. So, and then they have the weekend off next weekend. But we'll get to all that. There next weekend, and again with golf, uh, team is off. For a while, anyway. Uh, there we go. Ninth uh, and tenth, so right along with the men. So they'll they'll start in a tournament next weekend. Kansas City Shootout there in Kansas City. It'll be their last tournament before the Summit League Championships, April 23rd through the 25th in Nebraska City, Nebraska. That's your SDSU Sports Update for this week. For more on all these stories, stats, uh, schedules, so much more, go to GoJacks.com. A lot of good, hardworking people at the SDSU Sports 
information department keeping you up to date on the latest regarding Jackrabbit Athletics. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed the, the podcast today. A lot of basketball talks, NFL talk in there as well. Next week, a big, big show. We'll recap the final four of a brief Masters preview and then heavy baseball preview as this as the season starts. Opening day is on Sunday and Monday. Plenty of games on ESPN, so we'll predict how bad the Twins will be and who's going to play in the World Series and everything else in between. So it'll be a very good show on uh, next week, so you definitely want to make sure to download that. Again, you can find us on iTunes, but also download the podcast uh, on my if you follow me on Twitter, at NDStacken, you can listen to it there. Otherwise, on Facebook, Nathan Stacken. So great stuff, as always. And then after that, after next week, we will be in heavy NFL draft mode. You get Jeff Lloyd II from TurnOnTheJets.com uh, doing some stuff with us here over the next few weeks. Get a mock draft coming up. Uh, the NFL mock draft used to be our first, if not second, best show of the year. I think. It, I mean, we still have a very good uh, mock draft show overall. We do, uh, Travis and I picked the first round. We'll do. We'll try and do that again this year. It, it's been a little more difficult here in, in recent years with the the March Madness show clearly dominating. But uh, overall, it'll be a good good month in April to to listen to the sports block here, and hopefully you listen to us in in April and then in May and every other month as we keep doing this podcast here. Appreciate the loyal listenership and again you can find us now on itunes so great great stuff today uh enjoy the final four this weekend it should be great at university of phoenix stadium who will do it is there going to be a cinderella with south carolina winning it what kind of championship game are we going to get a really any matchup is intriguing south carolina oregon is probably the least attractive but still going to be great so uh, enjoy it everyone and we will be back next week with another edition of the Sports Block Podcast. So, uh, for Travis Crins, I'm Nathan Sacken. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you again next week here, Sports Block Podcast.